0: Well, good evening. Let's take a look uh, at the book of Jeremiah. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. It's God to bless our time. Lord, thank you for another night together. Thank you for a new year and uh, for uh, uh, the time we can spend in your word. I pray that you would, in this special time that we set apart from whatever else we do during the week, we sit still uh, and have your word open before us, speak to us as a result and change us. We don't want to walk away just saying you spoke to us. We want to walk away different for the better. And so pray that you'd open our, our, our ears, our hearts, our minds, whatever it takes to, uh, to be filled with you and uh, have that transforming power with whatever time we have left, Lord. And may we do that to your glory and in worship of your holy name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. A couple things about Jeremiah you may not know. It's the longest book of the Bible. You say, well, wait a minute, Isaiah 66 chapters, doesn't matter, chapters don't mean anything in the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah is the longest book, it has 21,673 words, compared to Genesis with 20,000, Psalms with 19, Ezekiel 19, and Isaiah only has 16, so you think Isaiah is the longest one, but uh, so if you just chose one book to read for the year, and it was Jeremiah, if you thought it was Isaiah, well, I read the longest, you would be wrong. Someone who read Jeremiah would be better than you. There's no real pattern or chronology except uh, in the chapters 37 to 44 and uh, it's good to know that as you're reading. If it's good to know the um, the chronology of the kings because you'll be reading about King Jehoiakim. And then you'll be reading about King Jehoiachin. And then you'll be reading about King Zedekiah. And you think those I just read them in order. Jehoiakim was the father of Jehoiachin who uh, his uncle, Zedekiah, became king, except it goes back and forth all the time. You'll be reading about Jehoiah, uh, Zedekiah, you thinking you're moving towards the end, and then it's back to Jehoiachin, somewhere in the middle, uh, over here, over there. And if you don't know that, you're thinking, well, I don't get it, and it's good to get it. So I will bring that out, and, uh, and, and it's good to have those kings in order. Uh, and you're thinking, that's the first time I've ever even heard of them ever in my life tonight. Well, welcome. Then you've already learned something. Um, Jeremiah reveals in himself many emotions, and he's earned the nickname the Weeping Prophet. Um, he is the most human of all the prophets, revealing many personal thoughts. That's why I like him the best. To me, he's the most real of all the prophets. Uh, you know how he's feeling, and he lets you know. And he uh, uh, he spends a good amount of time weeping. In fact, that previous picture up there at the front, uh, that's from uh, uh, Michelangelo, at the Sistine Chapel. That's him uh, weeping. That's uh, essentially. Uh, what he's known to be. He had a lot to weep about. Um, It tells a story about Judah's unraveling. The the nation of Israel has already collapsed. It's already gone into captivity at the hands of the Assyrians. Not the Syrians, but the Assyrians, uh, as they did in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom of Judah was supposed to have noticed what goes on when you disobey God into the northern kingdom. We don't want to be like the northern kingdom, but they didn't. They became worse. And Jeremiah is that preacher in the leftover, the leftover remnant of what's left holy in Judah. Uh, and uh, um, he's there to prophesy to people who no longer care to hear about it. And so it, it mimics our day. As such, it speaks to us as we watch our own society unravel at a rapid pace. We've fallen down the slippery slope. It's not coming back. There is no, in my non-prophetic opinion, there are no revivals left. We've gone down the slippery slope of no return. Um, We are even watching Christians care little about it. Even uh, people calling themselves Christians are out there telling them that that sinful behavior is okay. It's okay to be gay. It's okay to uh, to act like a pervert and and do and speak like this and, and not go to church and not pray and not read Bible and just be generally filthy and say God loves us. That's okay today. In fact, people go to church, look for churches that do tell them that. Jeremiah lived in a time very much like our own when folks no longer think God matters for daily life. Living in sin, even winking at it, encouraging it. Amazing people today, especially you young folks, you Gen Zers, who think it's okay to have sex before marriage. Everybody does it. To live together and check things out before you get married, it's not. It's always been uh, a sin. It always will be a sin. It's punishable by death. God will not be mocked. Uh, And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the way people are today. He was sent to tear down and to build up. Like Jesus, who was torn down and built up, his life was killed, his life was taken from him by his own uh, permission, we too are to deny ourselves, to be torn up, to be torn apart, to come to our own end in order to be built up. That's what you do with a warrior. Join the military, it's what basic training is in in good branches of the military, they break you down. Twelve weeks or so, they strip you down, they cut your hair, and they call you losers, they insult your mother, they scream at you, they break you down to build you up break you down to build you up that's what god tells jeremiah he's going to do so the day has come upon israel the final last days and jeremiah is that preacher i would say any preacher who lives in the modern world is at that point today we live in a world where we're at the end i believe at the end of of uh of all things good and there's a few of us left to preach the good news and uh and catch the garbage for it. We would love to think there's going to be a revival. And some of us are arrogant enough to think that God has sent us to make everybody wonderful and happy. But God just might be using us to just uh, uh, bring all the more judgment on those who refuse to repent. Or he might bring revival. Who knows? So, Jeremiah one. let Let's take a look. We'll get through chapter 1 tonight, Lord willing. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So let's take a look. You see the, the map over there. In this area, you've got, uh, um, this is the area of Benjamin, this little orange area. Down here, it's all Judah, this southern kingdom. So Benjamin would be in the modern West Bank, um, is what uh, it's called on the news today. Here's the little, uh, there's Ephraim up here, and here's the little kingdom of Dan. Here's Judah and Simeon down here. But this Whole southern area is Judah. These northern tribes have gone into captivity at the hands of what be off the map over in this area, uh, the kingdom of Assyria. So it says the words of Jeremiah, the sons of, of the son of Hilkiah, the, of the priests who were in Anathoth. So what see these, um, this land of Anathoth, this little, little uh, city of Anathoth was... Uh, uh, about three miles from Jerusalem, was, is, about three miles to Jerusalem. Uh, Solomon had banished one of the priests there named Abiathar, who was once good and then wasn't good. He was good with David, and then he turned on David, and Solomon banished him over there. Perhaps a couple hundred years later, that's where Jeremiah comes from, comes from that group of priests. He is a priest by birth because he is of the priests, and he is a prophet by God's calling. I put him there as a PK. You got to watch out for all PKs. Preachers, Kids. They're the worst, and my kids illustrate it, right? They actually don't, praise God. Later, his hometown folks in Anatoth will persecute Jeremiah. We'll see that in chapter 11. Uh, and it's in the land of Benjamin to whom the word of the Lord came. So uh, God's sending his word to this this young man, and he is young, in this area of Israel. What's left of the southern kingdom is Judah. Again, the northern kingdom gone. They've kind of assimilated into the uh Into the Gentiles, they're now called Samaritans by the Assyrians. So in uh, verse 2b, it's in the days of Josiah, who was the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. Um, Now, this is chronological, and it helps us understand where we are. Josiah, we know, became king in 640 BC. So 13 years into his reign, that's not hard to figure out, just a little math. Um, It's 627 BC. Uh, And if you know anything about Josiah, Josiah became king at what age? Anyone know? Eight years old. And it was, um, how old was he when, it was 18 years later when when they, I always got to put this in air quotes, when they found the book of the law in the temple. That's like going around, digging around in the the Bible church and go, hey, you're not going to believe what we found. We found a Bible. We found a book of the law in the temple. Isn't that where it's supposed to be? Well, they found it. And the reason they found it is because Josiah, when he became king, his dad's name was Ammon, as it says here. Ammon had only reigned for two years. He was wicked. And the men of the city put Ammon to death. Why? After two years? Because his daddy named Manasseh reigned 55 years, and he was the worst king in the history of Israel. He did everything he wasn't supposed to do. And anyone know who Manasseh's dad's name was? One of the great kings of Judah, Hezekiah. So Hezekiah has Manasseh, who was the worst king ever. Hezekiah was great. Manasseh the worst. And his son Ammon, just going following in daddy's steps, And then Josiah is born. So 57 years of a king, of two kings that were the worst. And then Josiah is born. Do you think Josiah is going to be worth anything? Well, he's eight years old when Ammon is killed. um, And so he's king now. He's a puppet king. Eighteen years later, the book of the law is found in the temple. And someone reads it to him. And what does he do? He tears his clothes. essentially saying, if what you just read to me is true. And he's never read the Bible. He's never known it to this point. Israel is bereft of God's word for 57 plus years. Actually, that was just the reign of Manasseh and his dad add 18 to that. Or his son add 18 to that. That's more than a couple of generations. We've never heard the book of the law. It's read. Josiah is thinking, that's the word of God. We're in trouble. We better repent. And Josiah goes on this systematic rampage. To bring Judah back into line with God. He was, in my opinion, the greatest of kings. He went, it was a revival, but it wasn't a revival in Judah. It was a revival in Josiah. No one seemed to follow. They did what he said, but Josiah is this great and awesome king. I love Josiah. He's such a good story. Uh, but it was 18 years into his reign before he got that, before he got that kick. Here we're just five years into his reforms, um, uh, so Josiah became king in 640. Uh, Thirteen years later, it's five years before these things happen. And so it's a really a terrible time uh, to be a prophet. And that's when he, uh, when Jeremiah comes in on the scene. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim. Now, if you know your your list of kings, I just listed, you got Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, who followed Josiah? No, Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz. If you want to say it like that? Jehovah has because once Josiah was killed, he was killed by anyone know who killed Josiah. Same as the Pharaoh, Nico. Pharaoh Nico, uh, and Nico said, "Josiah I got nothing to do with you. Get out of my way." He was going up to a place called Carchemish to fight with Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and Josiah wants to get in his way. So Josiah does get in his way. And so he goes up and he fights this battle. He, he dies. And when Nico comes back down, he knows he's killed Josiah. He takes one of the other, one of the sons of, of Josiah, his name is Jehoahaz, and he makes him king. And then he takes him off to, to Egypt and sets up another king named Eliakim, also called Jehoiakim. And I know all the names you're already going, I'm already lost. All right, that's the point, right? If you don't know this, you're supposed to know it. That's why I got it up on the on the board. It helps you look at it, and see it. Okay, right, I'm going to learn these names. But he skips Jehoahaz because he was only he didn't really reign in Israel. He was just uh, supposed to reign. Uh, it happened until the 11th year of Zedekiah. Who does he skip there? Who is skipped after Jehoiakim when you jump all the way to Zedekiah? Yeah. Jehoiachin and his son. That was Jehoiakim's son. He only reigned for three months anyway. Uh, so. His ministry lasts to the end, uh, or through Zedekiah's reign, up to the exile, uh, which in the fifth month, and we know that the exile of Israel, out of Israel, into Babylon, happened in July, August of 586 B.C. Thus, Jeremiah prophesied for 40-plus years. Long time to prophesy to a bunch of people who aren't listening and who want to kill you as a result. So let's take a look. Let's finish out verse 3. It says, it came also in the days of Joachim. I just read all that. Verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is the word of the Lord, this is God, this is Yahweh, uh, the word Lord there is in all caps, that means the Hebrew word behind it, as you know, is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the God of, of all creation, came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, by the way, this is 627 BC, I'll tell you, I'll show you in a minute, where Jeremiah may not be any older than 15 years old, God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Underline that. I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. That means to make holy, separate. I have appointed you prophet to the nations. Notice it doesn't say a prophet to Israel, but Israel is among the nations. Here Jeremiah is a prophet to the nations, Israel, and to include Gentiles. Take a look at a couple things here. Before Jeremiah was formed in his mother's womb, think back to the time before you were born. Yeah, you know, I was the other day, I was looking over my, my diary of the, the day I was born. And, you know, because I kept a diary, you know, of every day I was born. Day two, still tired from the move. Sorry, that's, I stole that joke from Stephen Wright. That's not my joke. Um, but this is when God knew us. When did I even have any wherewithal of myself? I think I can remember to a flashback somewhere when I was around four years old, maybe, I remember asking my mom if I was five yet, so I had to still be four when I was asking it. That's all I remember. Am I five yet? No, you're not five. You got to wait. If you'd have been born in September, you'd be five, but you were born in October. I remember that. That was the answer. But I don't have any recollection of being born. I certainly don't know what I was like before I was born. God, however, before my mom and dad, before Dave and Janet came together, Dave Waldy and Janet Sherman, before they came together, God knew me. Before your mama and daddy came together, he knew you. How? How does God know someone that doesn't exist? There's no randomness with God. God knew who would be born. And note this, folks, don't ever forget it. Before we were ever born or conceived in mama's womb, God had an intimate knowledge of who we were. That's what God is saying here. I knew you, yada. Yada is also a word used in the Bible, believe it or not, for sexual intercourse. It says where Cain knew his wife, a euphemism, as it were. Doesn't want to say he had sex with his wife. He knew his wife. It speaks of intimate knowledge, an intimate union. God had an intimate knowledge of his people. Does that remind you of uh, those whom God foreknew he also predestined? Mm -hmm. Foreknew? This is God foreknowing, having, he knows all people, but he has an intimate knowledge of his own. It's an intellect, beyond an intimate intellectual knowledge, but an intimate knowledge. Close personal relationship with us before we're born. Before Jeremiah was born, he was also consecrated, Kadash, uh, set apart to be made holy. We would call sanctified from the New Testament. Before he was born. God already had a plan for him before he was born. Knew him, had a plan for him. Not only that, but God appointed him. The word is uh, natan, which means to give. God had given him as a prophet to his people. And what do prophet's do? they tell God's people what God wants them to know before he was born. We can say that God did what he did with one of his servants and with one of his servants. I believe he could say that with all of his servants. This week, this Saturday, I'm going to do a funeral for a woman in our church who, who lost her baby. It's a stillborn baby. They knew it would be born um, dead, and, and she, she gave birth to it. Now, I'm going to do a funeral for this baby. I, when you can't talk about a per, a person that you knew or that knew life, it's difficult. Um, there is no canned service to do. I don't know how to do it, and I'm kind of glad because I don't want to know how to do it in the sense that I want it to come to me. I, I want, But this right here, I think it's beautiful. Even though that little baby never drew a breath, moved around in his mother's room for for a couple of months, had a little heartbeat. You ever seen your baby's heartbeat? That's one of the greatest things I ever saw in my life. When when we saw Daniel's heartbeat, the little things. I mean, I was excited to have a baby, but when I saw that heartbeat, man, I lost it. I mean it. I did. And I saw my little girls too. That was fantastic. That little baby had that. God knew that baby. And by God's own choosing, that baby died knew her. Isn't that beautiful? How do people live without understanding that God is in sovereign control of all things, even when we're not? Jeremiah's response when God tells him this, so imagine that God comes and tells you what he just told Jeremiah. What are you going to say? Yeah, Lord, I've been waiting for you to come to me. I've been waiting. I knew this about me, but... uh, (laughs) Jeremiah says, then I said, alas, Lord, God. Really, that word alas in Hebrew is literally ah, ah. Some of your translations might say, ah, sovereign Lord. Is that what he says, Brock? Yes. Ah, sovereign Lord. That's a real good literal translation, ah. I mean, I'm looking at that Hebrew word last week, and I'm going, I don't know this word until I, I had to go a little deeper. That's what it is. It's just a, how do you write? ah. So he's groaning, as you and I might do when God is speaking, calling us. Jeremiah is speaking here. He says, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. Now, when you say, I do not know how to speak, you have negated yourself, right? It's like saying, I can't speak five words in English. Now, if you say that in Spanish, then that makes sense. But if you say it in English, then you've negated yourself. He's not saying, I don't know how to speak. He's essentially saying what you and I would say. "I, I, I am not eloquent in my speech. Who does that remind you of in the Bible? Moses. Except Moses didn't want to do it. And, and when God kept telling him, okay, I'm, I'm going to make the staff turn into a snake. Really? Cool. Let's do that. I'm going to make your hand turn to leprosy and you're going to bring it back. Really, that's some really great things. But uh, send somebody else. He didn't want to go. Jeremiah is a young man. I'm just a youth. But he said to me, do not say I'm a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command, you shall speak. Take a look at a few things. youth here um, can mean um, an infant um, because it's the same word used for uh, throwing the infants into the Nile in Exodus chapter two. But it can also refer to uh, someone who's 17 years old because it describes um, Joseph in uh, Genesis 37 verse two. He's 17 years old. And do you know that story where the um, Elisha, the prophet comes out one day and these boys come out and they start calling him, says little lads. And they start calling him bald head. Watch out when you start talking bad about one of God's prophets, bald or not. Um, And he calls out, what, a bear and mauls all these kids. And you're thinking, well, one guy wrote me as a Catholic, studied to be a priest. And he said, Lance, what was going on with Elisha that day? Was he having a bad hair day? (laughs) He said, every day was a bad hair day. He was bald that day. So. Um, no, th- these weren't little children. These weren't little kids making fun of a bald-headed guy. These were 17-year-old, 18, 19-year-old young men making fun of God's anointed prophet. And they paid with it, paid for that with their lives. So he could be, uh, you know, somewhere in his teen years, upper teens, uh, as, the, as the word has a long range of meanings. Uh, Like Jeremiah, it's not that we rebel against God or we don't know how to talk. We just lack eloquence of speech and experience. And um, I was the same way when I felt like God might be calling me into ministry. I didn't know if I could. I was scared to death. Who isn't scared to death to go speak in front of people for the first time? It could be, and especially when you're that young. Uh, Moses was old and he felt inadequate. Jeremiah, as a youth, felt ill-prepared to be a mouthpiece for God. And that shows some humility. We want to see that. Uh, Of course, you remember Isaiah. Remember when God called Isaiah in Isaiah 6? He said, oh, Lord, I am what? I'm a man of unclean lips. And so he touched a coal to his lips. It's like Isaiah was suffering from guilt. Like, I'm an unclean man. I'm not like this. Jeremiah says, I'm just too young to do it. Each one of us has our excuses, and God puts them all to rest. So God doesn't call us when we're qualified. He qualifies us when he calls us. Think about that. I mean, if you go around thinking you're qualified, and you're the man, you're the woman, you're probably not ready, Uh, but when you realize I can't do this uh, and know that it's God who qualifies those who calls, um, that's kind of the the lesson we must learn. We're not to belittle ourselves, as Jeremiah did. When God authorizes, he says, do not say I'm a youth, verse seven, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command, you shall speak. Don't put yourself down. I used to have this still do (laughs) complex, the short man complex. And it's my insecurities, um, especially early on in ministry. I always like to beat you to the punch. You weren't there in the beginning, but I made fun of my height. Um, still do from time to time because I want you to know that I know. <laughs> and anybody back there going, do you think he knows he's that short? Yeah, I do. I don't like it, but that's the way it is. But in, in a way of trying to be a step ahead of you, I make fun of myself before you. And it's as if, and I had one man say, "Lance, I'm tired of you saying that." It was an older gentleman. He said, "I never thought about that till you brought it up." He said, "I don't come for your height. I come to hear God's word, and you've been preaching it." Hmm. I, I couldn't argue against it. Now I keep doing it. I will do it. It's just an insecurity uh, in me. I have to admit. Uh, but we have to remind ourselves, without going too high on the, on the scale of look at how great I am, it's, it doesn't matter if I'm short, tall, good-looking, white, black, color in between, can sing, can't sing, can have a good voice, have a bad voice, God called. When God calls, um, he, he doesn't make that mistake. And that's what he's telling Jeremiah there. We're qualified as mouthpieces of God when we actually speak for God, not from our own minds. That's what a prophet is. One who speaks and says, thus saith the Lord. In King James English. You can say it in other English if you want. Jeremiah feared people, knowing how the truth would lead them to try to kill him. He lived in the land. He knew. If someone told you, hey, I want you to go out. I want you to start a church. I want you to go down the street. I want you to start a church. I want you to open up a Bible and start preaching the word. If you know the society around us, you know that that's that's not going to be an easy task. Um. If you're called to go start a mega church and go say nice things and uh, and have a big stage and have a mud wrestling place in the front and and invite some, uh, you've got a budget for inviting mega speakers to it, you might build a big church real quick. But if it's just you and a little pulpit, a little Bible, it's probably not going to take off. Probably not going to take off. Jeremiah knew what the people would think of him. He was scared out of his mind. The task of a prophet or any Christian for that matter is to know and speak God's words. We go where he commands and we speak what he says to say. That is our task. That's what God has called us to do. Verses seven and eight, note there where he says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go and all that I command you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I started thinking that sounds like the great commission. Go, preach the word. So what does Matthew twenty eight nineteen say? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And what? I am with you always. That's what he says to Jeremiah. Same thing. Go do what I said. I'm gonna be with you. I know you're scared. I'll be with you, and I will not abandon you. It's what he tells Moses to. I think every everyone who would set out to do such has to be reminded of that. I have to be reminded of that. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed at what at the task in front of me and what's there. And who am I to stand up and tell you what God's word says? Who am I to tell you how to live your life based on what God's word says? Well, this is great. This is why I love Jeremiah. I think that a good portion of my ministry and that why I became a preacher is because I started reading Old Testament prophets and Jeremiah is the one that always stuck with me. I just love the guy. He goes and does what he does. It just always impressed me. Uh, And so I go back to this book. I don't know why I haven't taught it sooner. Verse 9. Then the Lord God stretched out his hand, and he touched my mouth. Remember, he did sort of the same thing with with Isaiah, except he was cleansing Isaiah's filthy mouth. Here he's probably a vision, because God doesn't reach out and touch quite literally. Uh, It's more of a vision where he sees God touch his mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I put my words in Now, See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms. I think it's seven things here. To pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow, to build, to plant. That's six. Four of them are negative. You're going to pluck up. You know what that is. You're going to break down. You're going to destroy and overthrow. Now, when you're preaching and you do these things, you're essentially telling people that's wrong theology. How many people love that? How many people like to be told they're wrong? Here's what so-and-so says. Here's what Joel Osteen preaches. That's wrong. Here's what Creflo Dollar is teaching you. That's wicked. That's wrong. You need to move outside of that filthy garbage teaching, pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow. And once that's done, let's start building and planting. Let's get rid of the, the, the garbage and plant some new seeds that's what you're going to do, Jeremiah. I'm touching your mouth, and you're going to go do that. He received God's message in a vision, as I said, uh, in, bat- in a cross-reference Deuteronomy 18, 18, where God tells Moses, I'm going to send another prophet in your likeness. Now, there were many prophets that followed uh, Moses and his likeness, ultimately to Jesus, and Jeremiah is one of them. He's receiving God's word, getting God's word, God having his words in their mouth. I'm putting my mouth just magically in your mouth. Now go speak them. Today, God's words we say are in Scripture. We learn them, then we go preach them. With God's words, we know just what to say. So not a lot is different, not not a whole lot of changes, Uh, if any. A prophet preacher's task in preaching God's words is to expose sin. I think that's to pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow. Correct, rebuke, and exhort. And then to build in the plant. That's to call people to repentance and a new life in Jesus Christ. And so few will do that. So few are willing to do that. Why? Afraid of giving up their life. Afraid that, that uh, I would say, fra- is really a nice way of putting it. I think most people, it's just too much pride. Who are you to tell me what to do? I do things my way. I- I'm-, I'm an American. I do whatever I want. Who are you to tell me? Who are you to use an old book? I don't believe that book. People say all the time, you Christians, you're always telling us what the book says. We don't care about your book. We don't like your book. Stop telling us what the book says. Well, the book tells us what God wants. And so we're just relaying the information. People can take it or leave it. God never says, look, you're going to convert everybody. <laughs> Don't ever think that your ministry is a disaster if no one believes. Your ministry is an absolute, total victory if you just do what God gave you to do. Faithfulness. Lord, nobody believed. I'm a total failure. I, I didn't. God is the one that makes people believe. Uh, our beef with God is whether we did what he said or not. Um, There are so many preachers. There are so many missionaries, countless ones who get out of ministry after a few years, 10 years, 20 years, because they saw no converts. Apparently, they thought going in, I'm gonna save this amount of people. Apparently, in my wake, I will be able to say, I planted 10 churches in 10 years. We did this, we started that, we started that. Be careful about those. Uh, We have no vision at this church. I want you to know that. We have no vision of starting new churches, of starting five churches in five years, no vision, not going to have one either. If God wants that, he'll bring the people and he'll do it. And we'll be happy to get on board, but we're not going to say, here's what we're going to do. There's too many ministries that go kaput trying to do what some well-meaning guy or gal wants to do. Let God do. I mean, yeah, originally I thought we were going to plant a lot of churches. Um, We planted one church out of here and it was a, a church that didn't, really want to be here anymore. So they just went and started. So it was, a, uh, what we might say, a, a, a church that was uh, involuntary church plant. How about that? <laughs> so we started an involuntary church plant. Hey, great. All, all the better. No problem. That's a good deal. But why, why not more? We preach the word. People are learning the word here. What about all the churches in the last 23 years that if, just go up and down Muskie Road that used to be there that aren't there or that are there that don't have the pastor that was originally there? Didn't happen. You see, churches go out today and they say, we're going to start 10 churches in 10 years. Let's choose you, 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 and we'll have this big fire-up session. All right, who wants in? Let's do it. Let's beef you up with a bunch of Bible, and then you can go out and you'll set the world on fire. And people jump onto that bandwagon, but they're not called. Within a year or two, they fizzle out. The church is gone. They weren't called. I found that there's just not that many who are called to do this task. And the ones that think they are, many that think they are, are not. Because they get into it thinking that God is going to somehow bring revival through them, set the world on fire. when it doesn't happen, they're disillusioned. Jeremiah is plainly told, here's what you're going to do. And back over here, back in verse 8, don't be afraid of them, which implies they're going to be out to get you. I am going to deliver you, which implies they're going to come after you. I'm going to deliver you. It doesn't say, "Don't be afraid." I'm going to make your ministry great, and you're going to be the most famous man ever. Doesn't say that. What are you saying, Connie? Yeah. Oh, I said, wasn't Ezekiel the one who um, wasn't allowed to speak? He was. Yeah, he was uh, rendered mute. He had to act out all of his sermons. And God didn't care he said no <laughs> one would listen. to Yeah. Yeah, and you're going to act it out, and on top of that, I'm going to take your wife from you. Right. And he doesn't say, and I'm real sorry, yeah. and, and, and I know you're hurting. He doesn't say those things. He tells him, get it out, and you will have a straight face. Do what I said. Verse 11, where the Lord came to me, saying, what do you see, Jeremiah? Now, the ministry's already started. It's like Jeremiah didn't get a chance to say, can I go home and pray about this? <laughs> Here you go. I've got a vision for you. What do you see? Jeremiah said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Well, that's an interesting one. The almond tree was named the awake tree, but you didn't know that. In Palestine, it's the first tree of the year to bud and bear fruit. It blooms uh, preceding its leaves. as a bloom prior to its leaves and it blossoms in late January, signifying the coming of springtime. Okay, that's what the almond tree is. Beautiful tree. There's a word play on almond tree. Um, and the word watch out, and it's uh, shaked shakad, shakade shakad, not in English, but in Hebrew, shakade shakad, so it's just a, play, a little word play here, um, almond tree, watch out, God's word is watched over by God, and he promises to perform it, so that's what the almond tree is signaling, that beautiful, blossoming almond tree, that's God saying, I'm alive, and I am going to bring success to what I'm commissioning you to do, God is not asleep, he's like that almond tree, he's awake, His word isn't preached, then there's nothing to perform. So he's put his word in Jeremiah's mouth. Go out, you're going to be like a blossom tree, an almond tree, I should say. Blossoming, you're going to bring new life to this dead nation. So God is awake and watching over his word to perform it. I believe then, I believe now. May not be like we want, may not be to the extent that we want or think it should happen. But God is still alive, amen? His word is still powerful, amen? You know it for your own personal life. I got to tell you, there was this family that came in. uh, It was one of the best things happened to me in a long time. Not that good things don't happen to me, but did the membership class, uh, last membership class on Sunday night, and there was two people that came in. And they sat over on this side, and uh, Mark Bentick, you were there, right? You didn't know what they said to me afterward, but I think I shared it in the men's group, right? And uh, they came up afterward, you know. I I hadn't seen them in church, but they had been there the previous two weeks, the, the week that Doug preached and then... This past week, and I, I was there. And they said, we we went to church next door. She said, and we sat in the parking lot, and no one was there. It just didn't feel right. And we had bought a pumpkin out here in the front during the pumpkin patch. She said, and we just decided, well, let's just go to this church. She said, we knew nothing about it whatsoever, and that was a week Doug preached. And they they came in, and they were astounded. Now, by their own admission, they're Pentecostals. Um, they're used to jumping around in their own admission. She speaks in tongues, jumping around and running around in crazy charismatic church and uh she said i I admit that and she said i grew up in a church like that my parents were that way and she said, my parents are alcoholics on the side she said so i see there's there's a disconnect and she said and we would never been in a church like this she said and when doug said turn the page or turn to such and such she said all we heard were pages rattling she said we've never heard that in our lives both of them are standing there over me just grinning ear to ear it's not just her or him they're both doing that they weren't even supposed to be hadn't even planned to be here and then, now Doug, as we know, is a, fire, is a fiery, nice man. Then Lance comes in, and they hear me speak. And they're still not dissuaded. <laughs> they're all the more excited. They had no idea why they were here. They were on cloud nine at Harvest Bible Church. And I said, we sing three songs. Oh, we stay in our chair. And they said, it was fantastic. And they're used to all the other. She said, we've never seen anything like that. I said, how about that? I was so excited. When God's word is preached and God's people hear it, those that he knew intimately before they were ever born, something amazing happens. Yes, it's like mixing chocolate and peanut butter, it all comes together. Remember that. Verse 13. Word of the Lord came to me. So he sees an almond tree the first time. And God is essentially saying, I'm watching over my word to perform it. Word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Now, what he's going to see is this boiling pot in the north. Anything north of Israel is, you know, this direction. Um, and what's coming upon Israel is, now I'm going to, because it's, the direction is this way, it's east. I mean, this is going to be east to me. But east of Jerusalem, is the nation of Babylon. Assyria has gone out of business. The Babylonians are now the world dominating power. So if they come attack Jerusalem, they're gonna come from the east. I know that's west to you, but it's, it's gonna come from the east. The only way it comes from the north is if they take the trade routes up the Euphrates River, no one comes across that Arabian desert, not with an army, no, there's no water. Everyone goes up the Euphrates and comes down from the north, all of them. And that's what the Babylonians did. This boiling pot is a pot of judgment, and it's pointing away from the north, meaning all the contents of it are about to pour into Judah, and the contents of it are God's judgment. So what do you see? I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north the evil will break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they will come and they will set each one, his, his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against all its walls around about and against all the cities of Judah. Now, when you're a pagan nation and you come and you sit at the city gate of Jerusalem, that's where the judges sit, at the city gate. When a pagan nation comes to do that, it would be like saying, okay, um, an entire woke crowd is gonna come into Harvest Bible Church and they're gonna come into the church and they're gonna push us out and they're going to move into our offices. ISIS is going to come in and they're going to move into Harvest Bible Church. That's what this is saying, essentially. They're going to come in at the throne of the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against all its walls round about and against all the cities of Judah. Verse 16, and I will pronounce my judgments on them concerning all their wickedness, whereby they have forsaken me and have offered sacrifices to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. He's not talking about the the enemies. The enemies are going to come into town and foist themselves upon God's people because God's people have been worshiping other idols. It's boiling pot tilting away. You see, God is summoning the peoples of the north. Uh, He's setting up their thrones in Jerusalem's gates, indicates their sacking of the city, which was fulfilled, Jeremiah records it in chapter 39, beginning in 605 BC. And then in verse 17, to the end is God says, now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them, which all all that I command you, which gird up your loins. If you have an NIV, it says, get yourself ready. And I just translate it, put on your combat fatigues. We got a war to fight. And it's not literal, put on your, your combat fatigues. It's take those words I just put in your mouth and go fight the spiritual battle. Gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all that I command you, all which I command you. If God has given us his word. Look at that book. That's pretty thick. I've got it rolling in half. That's a big book. I've spent 23 years here, and I'm just about to finish through the New Testament. Just about to finish the New Testament. I've gone a good ways in the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, and I mean, I'm here. I've got to keep going, right? If we got to repeat it or do it again, we'll do it again. Or maybe God takes me. I don't know. I hope it's the latter, but there's a lot to be taught. It's taken a long time to do it. And if I get to go through it again, I'm going to be all the wiser and I get to go through it again. Gird up your loins. There is a battle to be fought, and it's the battle against lies. And those lies are getting more and more prevalent. In fact, it's no longer about, hey, let me correct your lie. It's people saying, I don't care what the truth is. I want to believe my own lie. I saw a picture the other day. Someone had painted a cow with stripes and said, is that a zebra? Does painting a cow make it into a zebra? That's absurd. But there are people out there today that will say, I'm a woman, but they would never admit I'm a woman and know what a woman is. But I say I'm a man, therefore I'm a man. And they believe it. And, And they want to. That's what the definition of being a fool is. Saying you believe something that you know you don't believe. There's a battle to be fought. There's a war. And it's against the lies. Where it says here, look at what uh, God does with with, uh, Jeremiah, does a similar thing to Ezekiel. Uh, Middle of verse 17, do not be dismayed before them, for I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, you as a fortified city, and as a pillar of iron and as walls of bronze against the whole land of the kings of Judah, to its princes and to the priests and to the people of the land. That's who's against him. It's not going to be the people in a little podunk town. It's the princes. It's the priests. It's the kings. They're going to be against you. Look over, if you will. It's just one. uh, You'll have to go through lamentations. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 2. What God does with Ezekiel. I love this. It's what God has to do with all of us, especially those of us who have been in this for as long as I have. Um, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 2. Not three, two. It's three, nine, yeah, I have even got it on the overhead. God says to Ezekiel, he said, like Emery, harder than Flint, I've made your, your forehead. I've made you the hardest-headed guy in town. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. God has to do this to preachers. He has to make us, he has to put a big, huge callus over this area right here. And people don't like that. People, don't, the people want a soft-spoken, kind, gentle, and we're supposed to be that way. A shepherd is supposed to be gentle. And it's got to be balanced with all of the garbage that comes the way of a prophet, the, the death threats, the hatred for just teaching the truth. God says he's got to make him that way as he made Ezekiel. I found what God has had to make me through the years, and, and I don't always like it. I don't, I don't like the way I sound. I don't like the way I sometimes feel when opposed. But this is what God has to do. What if you came up and you said, Lance, I got a big problem with you. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. What can I do to change and please you? How would you? I'm sorry. You, you, you don't, I don't like the way you talk. You need to put that Bible down. That offends me. Okay. But people have said that. That offends them when I hold it like that. I've been told that once. Yes. Um, or, or, Lance, you talk, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Oh, I'm sorry, how should I say that? Lance, don't say the word stupid. Okay, let me write that word down. I can't write that anymore. A whole list of words I can't say. Let me just tiptoe around and make sure everybody's happy. Now, there's some of that is wise, no doubt. Um, There's some very wise critique that should be offered. If you you feel like you're led to do that, then do that. I'm not gonna make fun of you or, or blow you off, but there are some things also that you go, you know what? Um, Just let me, let me, this is, my personality is Lance Waldy. A lot of rough edges that God continues to smooth out, but let that flow out that way. I can't be anything but me. You should be more like David Jeremiah. Now, that's a kind gentleman. I love David Jeremiah. He he knows how to say all the right things just the right way. I'm not that smooth. Good, knowing. amen that, but uh, (laughs) there are some I would love to be just like, but then I think, why? I've got to be me. I can only be me as Jeremiah could only be himself. And this is what God made him. In other words, Jeremiah, you're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to stand up and fight hard. And I'm going to make you like walls of bronze. You know, I was at the, uh, um, Cheryl and I actually both got to visit the museum of, of natural history in, uh, London. And, uh, one, one of the things you'll note there is, is the gates of Assyria, the gates of Assyria there or the doors. Um, and they're made of wood and they're overlaid with bronze, but they're not, they're not that spectacular. They're just made of wood and overlaid with bronze. God's going to make Jeremiah not like those powerful as they are, sturdy as they are. You're going to be bronze through and through. So when I read that, I thought about that. You're going to be solid bronze. Nothing is going to knock you over. And, and I love that because that means he doesn't say at some point you can only take so much and you're going to be gone. No, you're going to stand strong through it because I'm going to make sure that you do. Why would God make sure that you do? Because we speak his words. When we go off and we speak someone else's words, timber, you go down. Speaking of those princes, priests, kings, verse 19, they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I am with you. As God did with Isaiah, telling him that no one would listen to his words, God told Jeremiah they will fight against you. And God does. Remember he told that to Isaiah? Isaiah, go forth and talk to a people that's going to be ever hearing and ever seeing, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Wait, what? Yes, go out and tell them that. Just preach the word. They're not listening, but you go do it anyway. Okay. And to Jeremiah saying, they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. He doesn't say they'll fight against you and you'll prevail and everyone's going to be great. and It's all going to be a great um, uh, revival because five years after this, Josiah goes on this rampage of of, uh, godliness. No one's following them. No one's following him. But God says, but I am with you to deliver you. So when you and I are fighting the good fight, fight the good fight knowing that God is with us. It's a lonely job. I'm not up here to say that anyone should feel sorry for me or anything. I have my wife. I have some very close friends that have made this job amazing. Uh, But I wonder how bad it would be. I've read stories of people in the mission field. They don't. They don't have anything like that. But what they do have at the end of the day is God said He wouldn't leave me. He put these words in my mouth. He put me in this country. I'm preaching the Word. And many of their stories, they just die. They get speared to death, they get eaten by cannibals. But they were there faithful until the end. So, some observations to take a look at. Number one, the Word of the Lord is primary in prophecy and preaching. You know that, you believe that, that's why you're here. It's primary. It's not about me starting the day with a good joke. It's not about me showing pictures. It's not about me getting up and saying anything about me. Let me tell you some wonderful flowery stories about me and my children or my last vacation. No one cares to hear that. Not here. Why would you? We're here to hear God's word. That's That's the primary food that we give. That's what Jeremiah was to give. Though it's popular to think of prophets as merely predicting the future. Truly, they just speak God's words. Very little prophecies out of these prophets, Old Testament, New Testament, is here's what's going to happen in the future, other than you need to repent or judgment is coming in the future. We see that a personal relationship with God takes place prior to the womb and inside the womb. Truly, God foreknows those whom he has predestined. This passage doesn't teach that we can't have abortions. We don't need a passage to teach us that's wrong, do we? I mean, do we need one that says, thou shalt not kill a baby? And we already have that, the commandment, thou shalt not murder. Of course, we have people going, that's not a child or anything, and that's not, not a life. Okay, well, they know it is. But this passage is, I think it's better than that. It's beyond that. It's God knows us. He knows us before we're born. Before we're, I mean, in other words, there are people right now that have not been conceived yet because their mom and dad haven't even fallen in love yet, and yet God knows them. Why is God slow about his coming? Because among all the the ones that God knows, and I'm painting this, among all of them, there is a certain amount of them that are called the elect children of God. And God has to wait for them to be born and then reborn in Christ before he can return. Why is God delayed? They haven't been born yet. I don't know, maybe they all have and God's coming back tonight. Maybe there's a, there's a woman in the hospital right now who's waiting to have a baby so that, God, that baby can be had and God can come back. the way. It's all happening the way God would have it. He knows those before they're ever born. You and me as well. We can tell our children that God knows them and loves them. How special that truth is for mothers who have lost children either in childbirth or childhood or even an abortion. We do not choose God. He chooses us. Not only our salvation, but our vocation. You think, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, God does. And God puts it in you. I didn't know I was going to be a preacher. That's not what I set out to do. I was going to be, number one, a professional golfer. And then God said, no, you're not. I learned that later. You, God finally said, you don't have the talent. <laughs> and then I was going to be, um, I wanted to be a, a police officer. I studied criminal justice. I'm going to be a police officer. That's, that interested me. And... A criminal justice degree and a master's degree later God said no you're not okay I didn't want to be a preacher I'd been a youth minister I didn't want to go back to that that wasn't a good experience and it comes along no one says I want to be a preacher one day that sounds like fun but the way things kind of <laughs> fell fell into place that's what God knew that he knew that from the beginning my mom and dad would look at me and go where did you come from dad wasn't a preacher there were Sunday school teachers. No one was like that. No one was, I don't know. That's just the way it happened. God chose that. I didn't have that experience like Jeremiah, but that was going on behind the scenes. And in my own story, uh, it would be, I mean, I, I can tell you that I had one guy tell me at Cypress Bible Church, he, he heard me preach one time. I was preaching at a downtown mission in Houston, and we were there with our class, and he said, Lance, I had my whole class praying for me to find a job. I needed a job, and... uh uh, he heard me preach and he said, I don't know why we're praying for you to get a job. You've missed your calling. What? What do you mean? Never occurred to me. And I kind of blew that off. And then I heard it two more times in the next month from random people. Ding, ding, ding. Maybe that's where God wants me. Maybe. I mean, it didn't fit in scripture or anything. It's not as good as Jeremiah's, but that was mine. Yeah, Charlie. I was wondering, because God has chosen us, are we born knowing right from wrong? Yes, everyone's born knowing right from wrong. It's inherent, 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 inherent. Yes, even those, un, that's why they're held accountable. Even unbelievers are held accountable for, for right and wrong. It's in the heart, right? Yeah, it's written in the heart. The law is written in the heart. We know it's wrong. The only way to recognize God's call in our lives is to be about the tasks he's called us to do. Study, prayer, repentance, worship, giving, serving. If you don't know where God would have you be, just be about the task of that. God will show you. When God calls us into service, he doesn't take no for an answer. False humility is really just a lack of faith. I'm no good at that. I'm no good at that. Neither am I. Well, seven and a half years ago, we came to a point in this church where I had to be the music leader. I had to be the music leader. Really? That, that God, you can call me to that. Uh, yeah, I did. It was me, and it was Lauren McDonald, and it was Christina Pinkerina, and Us. John Zelmer at the back telling me, put your mouth on the microphone and sing. (laughs) I don't want to sing. That's not what, but that's what I was called to do for that year. I had to do it. had to break out my guitar. I had to learn a few things. This is what this church needs, Lance. Do it. Quit your yapping. Okay. (laughs) All God's servants are immortal until their service is complete. We don't stop speaking until we're slain for speaking. Doesn't end. Even if there's a retirement, it doesn't mean a pastor can't retire, but all of us, we are immortal until our purpose on this earth is up. Sometimes that's early in life for people. Sometimes it's very late. John Calvin says this, we learn that strength shall never be wanting to God's servants while they derive courage from the conviction that God himself is the author of their calling. For God will then supply them with strength and courage invincible so as to render them formidable to the whole world. But if they are unhinged and timid, And turn here and there and are influenced by the fear of men. God will render them base and contemptible and make them to tremble at the least breath of air and they shall be wholly broken down. Almost done. When we speak God's words, it's not God speaking. Peter says this, he says, prophecy, no prophecy of man has ever had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as he was, as they were carried along by the Holy spirit. That's what the Bible is. Um, we get our prop today. People go. I'm getting a prophecy from God. Here, here it is. Well, if it's not in the Bible, if they're not quoting the Bible, then tell them to hush. I mean, think about it. You can either. You can only either add to the Bible. Can you do that? Take away from the Bible. Can you do that? What else are you doing except quoting the Bible? Don't listen to anybody who says I'm getting a word from God. People do it all the time. People go to those churches. That's what they want. Peter is saying, all prophets got it from the Holy Spirit. You and I get ours from the Holy Spirit because he's the author of the Bible. Courage and strength come from the Lord. We as his servants don't use self-talk. We use God's word, which turns us into a bronze wall, a fortified city, and an iron pillar. That's, I think that's, that's that way. I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to do that. And, and that's, that's going to be what I'm going to stand on. A lady called me and told me my first funeral I ever did. She said, look, I want you to bury my dad. She said, uh, it was first funeral. I didn't know her. The pastors of Cypress Bible Church couldn't do it. They gave it to the intern. And uh, they laughed at me, no doubt. And she came in and she said, my dad wasn't a believer. We know he wasn't a believer. Everyone who knew him knew he wasn't a believer. She said, I just want you to share the gospel. I said, did he have any friends? Yeah, and none of them are believers. And his son, by the way, will be in the front row and he's an atheist. Thank you. Okay, I was scared to death. I was. I mean, it's so my first one. I didn't even know how to do a funeral per se, and I'm just get up and boldly speak the word. I remember seeing a woman come in that I knew and it gave me energy, just the, the somebody out there that I know. Um, she was a friend and anyway, I just did. And that guy was sitting in the front row right where Linda is and he was squirming. He didn't like it at all. And I just got bolder and bolder as he, as he squirmed thinking he was gonna jump up and hit me the whole time I was doing this. <laughs> I wasn't, he wasn't that bad, but it felt good. It was, I felt an energy in just preaching the word, standing on that truth. Not trying to appease him. Hey, he's gonna get the truth today. And he did. It's a good experience. If you're like the people of Jeremiah's day, you stand under the boiling pot of divine judgment, waiting for a prophet of God to deliver you with the truth. And for those of you who read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress with us this past year, two last points. In Pilgrim's Progress, Christian who's on his way to the celestial city is met by Mr. Bains. He's a man who differs from what he calls Christians of a stricter sort. You know, Christians of a stricter sort, those people who go to Bible church. He's a fair weather believer who will not be bothered with the demands of discipleship. He is not willing to hazard everything for God if that is going to include any suffering. He says, We never strive against the wind and tide. We are always most zealous when religion goes in his silver slippers, which is a way of saying when it's really convenient to us. We love much to walk with him in the street if the sun shines and the people applaud it. We like God. When the day is sunshiny, Christian replies to Mr. Byans with words that apply to Jeremiah and everyone who stands with Jesus Christ for the gospel. Christian says this, If you will go with us, you must go against wind and tide, the which I perceive is against your opinion. You must also own religion in his rags, as well as when in his silver slippers, and stand by him too when bound in irons, as well as when he walketh the streets with applause. In other words, we stand with God on good days and bad days. When things are going in our way, when we're healthy and wealthy, and when we have nothing. And when we're at the end of our rope like Job was and he had lost everything. We say at the end of our rope as Job did. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, the call of Jeremiah, I pray that we would take it to heart. All of us are called. The breath that we have is from you. The air that we breathe is your air. The space that we take up is your space. The body that we have is made by you. May we live to glorify you, giving it everything we have, knowing that you made us, you put your words in us. May we be faithful to death. May we long to die being faithful. We will die. May we die being faithful. And if you return while we are still here, may you find faithfulness in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon by Dr. Lance Walde, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Cypress, Texas.